0: I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and joining me on this very special UFC Vegas Almeida vs. Garbrandt edition of Half the Battle is the MMA genius himself. What's up, MMA genius? What's up, man? How's it going? uh, Let's talk some fights. Yeah, I'm excited to talk some fights. We got Rockstarzy back on the show. Kyle, how's it going?
1: Uh, It's going good, man. Sounds like those dogs
0: are barking already. Oh, they're barking and they're going to be barking when we start cashing some underdog plays. And joining us for the first time, we got CB Gold from the MMA Roasted Podcast. CB, what's up, my dude?
2: Not much, man. Just ready to, getting ready to join the MMA Roasted crew. And then uh, tomorrow night, head out to Vegas to go see all the Garbrant Garbrandt live.
0: Oh, man. Well, you're in for a treat because it's a hell of a car, man. We got to start at the bottom. We got Adam Milstead. He's a minus 255 favorite. The comeback on Chris De La Roca is plus 215. And, I mean, if you watch the tape... Adam Milstead, he should be fighting at light heavyweight, man. You know, he, he's one of these heavyweights that weighs in at 229, and you know, he's a bit small for the weight class. But one thing he does have going for him is he's athletic. He's got knockout power, but he tends to keep his chin in the air. He's very hittable. He has been knocked out before. And with Cristela Rocha, you know, he's one of your typical uh, overweight heavyweights. You know, he. Uh, but he has beat some veterans in the past. He has fought in the UFC, albeit he lost in under a minute. However, he does have that UFC experience. It could be one of those situations like uh, Baho's versus Elvin um, Mutapchic where, yeah, Mutapcic was the better fighter, but he was simply too small. So either Adam Milstead going to knock out Chris De La Hocha or De La Hocha is going to get on top of him and show him why there's weight classes. What do you think of him, A. genius?
3: Yeah, man, I think you pretty much uh, nailed everything, you know um it's either a dog or a pass for me in terms of betting i mean and you're literally just betting that hoping that uh de la rocha can land that one big shot and that this uh light heavyweight goes down 229 i think he can definitely make that cut to light heavyweight but um i'm gonna have to go with uh milstead for the win, most likely.
0: rockstar z uh yeah
2: man i got uh i got milstead too i figure. uh
1: He's got. He is a little bit um, small for heavyweight, but he's got quick hands. He hits hard uh, and he comes to comes to fight. You know, he's a scrapper. Um, I figure he can uh, he can keep the fight on the feet and uh, get a knockout. Cristobal Vucic has been out for a while, and in his last fight, he looked uh, pretty bad. Before that, he's only four and outside of the UFC, So I don't see much uh, potential in Vucic, uh, and uh, I'm going with that in those cases. So.
0: CB
2: Gold, uh, you know, I haven't. Um, paid too much attention to these guys, I'm looking forward to seeing them actually for the first time, I haven't had a lot of time to do research either, uh, so this one's going to be new for me, not not really sure.
0: Well, you can never be sure when the heavyweights step inside the octagon, but in this next fight, lightweight fight, we got Shane Shaolin Campbell, he's minus 170, the comeback on Eric Koch is plus 150, man, it's been a while since we've seen Eric Koch fight, you know, he's a... Uh, Taking some time off since that devastating knockout loss to the hands of Darren Cruikshank. But, you know, when Eric Koch is on his game, he's got a very nice straight left. He's got a very nice head kick, a beautiful triangle choke. The biggest problem with Eric Koch is, you know, I I, I question his heart a little bit. I don't think that he likes to get into real fights per se. He likes to be the guy that's the aggressor, and he likes to bully guys in there. But as soon as he faces a little bit of adversity... You know, things don't go his way. For example, the Llamas fight. He was owning Llamas the entire time, but he he almost tripped, and then he could never get out from bottom, and he folded up. And uh, it's happened many times in his career. With Shane Campbell, he's the kind of guy that'll win that war of attrition, but he could go down early. So it's about, is Coke going to catch him early with a nice straight left or a head kick, or is Campbell going to weather that storm and, you know, Show his heart because I mean, dude, the guy can go all three rounds
3: for sure. Yeah, um, it's a pretty you know, I'm definitely leaning Campbell just because, uh, the out of the in Koch's last three losses, I mean, those are brutal, brutal L's. I mean, the Lamas fight, he got cut badly. I mean, that was one of the worst cuts I've seen that opened up that quick. Um, the Poirier fight, he got dropped hard after, but I mean, he showed me that he had a good game off his back, and I mean, he didn't necessarily quit that fight, I just felt he got beat, you know? And the Crookshank fight, I mean, props to Crookshank, because he looked amazing that night. But my thing with Coke is, when he gets hit, I mean, is he going to freak out or not? But um for Shane, as far as Shane Shane Campbell goes I mean to be honest I think his grappling might be better than his striking I mean I feel like he has a tendency to get overwhelmed by straight punches and shots just due to like his tie background and the fact that he's taking so much damage but I mean in his in the fight against Krauss, I mean he showed mad heart. I mean he was he mounted Kraus at the end of that fight and was you know blasting him with heavy shots and you know um I think he's got more ways to win this fight and uh, I think he wins Rockstar Z
1: uh, yeah, man. I, uh, breaking down this fight, I, uh, it looked a lot like uh, McGregor Alba, to me, strangely enough. Just in the sense that uh, Shane Campbell's going to want to use that Muay Thai range, and Eric Koch is a long circle striker. I think he's going to be able to reach him with that left cross. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just not, uh, I'm not seeing the improvements I want to see from Shane Campbell. I think he's, uh, he's got a high ceiling. I respect him a lot as a fighter. But uh, he does this thing where he doesn't recircle and reset. Um, like if he's backing behind the cage, he'll just kind of like start striking right from there, and I, I don't like seeing that. I like guys with better cage awareness. Uh, I think Coke is a lot more mobile as well, um, and I just—I'm uh, actually—I was surprised to see him as the end of the underdog. Uh, that layoff might play into it, but at the same time, he's only 27, so a two-year layoff might uh, do wonders for his career. Um, uh, so for me, it, it's a close fight at the end of the day, but uh, I think I'm gonna have to sprinkle a little something on uh, Eric Coke.
2: CB Gold. Uh, You know, I like Eric Koch. Um, Been a fan of his for a long time. You know, it's interesting because if you remember back a while ago, he was supposed to get that shot at all, though. He got injured, which isn't something that is abnormal when you're training at Rufus Sport. And then from there, it was just like a real kind of, you know, touch-and-go feeling with him. And, yeah, Crookshank did very well that night. I was thinking that Koch could take him. But he's been on and off with a lot of injuries, Shane Campbell's a tough, gritty kid. Um, you know, the one the one thing that I've noticed with Coke, which I question sometimes is, you're training every day in the gym with Ben Askren, and you don't see him going for a lot of takedowns. You'd think he'd have, like, a, at least a good ground game, Rufus for Ben Askren, some jiu-jitsu. But like you said, with Lomas, Lomas got on top, and it was just, like, lights out from there. Um, the long layoff will definitely play into it, but... With Coke as the underdog, you know, I, I, I kind of like it. I, I think Coke can pull it off and then start making what he needs to be a comeback.
0: Yeah, if Coke wins the fight, I mean, he definitely has to finish. He can't. Uh, he's not going to win a war of attrition. It's just not going to happen. He doesn't have the heart or will to win for that. But, you know, a nice head kick, a nice straight left could change the fight at any point. Now, next up, here's where shit gets real. We got Aljamain Sterling as a minus 440 favorite. And the comeback on Brian Caraway is plus 350. First of all, that line's completely off. Second of all, you know, Aljamain Sterling is ranked number four in the world. Uh, I mean, who who is he beat to be ranked number four in the world? I, that's one of my questions. And also, you know, yeah, he does have great submissions. He does have pretty nice wrestling, but... You know, this isn't a grappling match, this is an MMA fight, you gotta have good stand-up. He hasn't really shown me that he can, you know, well he hasn't faced adversity yet, but I don't know how he's going to deal with someone that's going to get into his face. You know, if you watch his fight with Johnny Eduardo, Johnny Eduardo stayed at that kicking range, and uh, Aljamain loves to kick when he's on the feet, he doesn't throw any hands at all, and then he tries to get you to the ground. Now uh, a guy like Caraway, he closes that distance in every single fight. You watch his fight with Rafael Souza, who's you know a top three bantamweight on planet Earth, and he arguably won that fight against Rafael Souza. But you go rewatch it without commentary; it's a a close decision, and uh, he was he was in Rafael's face the entire time. He didn't play that kicking distance, and if he gets in Aljamain's face. He can win this fight. He can be the first guy to hand Aljamain his first career loss. Every fighter needs to take that first career loss so they can learn, grow, evolve, come back better, reassess things. And I think at plus 350, I'm willing to find out if Brian Caraway is that guy.
3: Yeah, man. Uh, I kind of agree. I mean, is Aljamain, uh the guy that he's hyped up to be? He may very well be, you know. But, um... At plus three fifty, when I see Brian Caraway next to plus three fifty, I think the guy's very underrated. I mean I think he's tough as hell. He moves forward, he goes for it. Look at his last fight, he stood three rounds with Eddie Weinland, who on paper was supposed to smash him on the feet, you know? And um I just feel like Caraway can some if he can just somehow stay in his face, not give him the space to kick, you know, uh keep the volume up with the punches and you know, be aggressive. He can scrape out a decision here. You know, my thing with Aljamain is, I mean, he may be as good as everyone thinks, but I mean, as far as his skills, all I've seen is a guy that likes to kick and likes to shoot in takedowns. I don't know, Brian Caraway, to just be the guy to get laid on. I mean, I've seen him overcome adversity several times, and um, I haven't seen Aljamain overcome adversity. Um, Aljamain's definitely more athletic. He's faster. He's more agile. But you know. Sometimes that doesn't mean much, you know, and at plus 350, I'm definitely willing to see. And Brian
0: Carraway is a lot more battle-tested, as we mentioned. I mean, he went the distance of Rafael
3: Asuncao, and
0: he's beat some good guys. <laughs> I he... mean,
3: look at that fight. Uh, he fought uh, Mish Gagnon. He got pounded on for a while, and he came back and won. But, I mean, Aljamain is strong, man. He's athletic, and I know he's not going to just uh, lay down on this guy, but um, when I see plus 350, i definitely take that shot.
0: Rockstarzzy?
1: Yeah, man, I mean, it, this line is a clear dog or pass. There's no way you should lay minus 400 on uh, alchemy stone at this point in his career. Uh, he's got a high ceiling, and uh, I completely agree with your assessment of him on his feet. Uh, I'd just like to add that although uh, he definitely looks green, especially with his hands, uh, he doesn't get hit a lot. So you could say that, uh, you know, his striking is good enough to uh, do what it's supposed to and just uh, keep him safe, keep him at distance until he gets his opponents to commit and then he shoots in and, uh, and tries to grab him. I, I don't really... Know if he's going to be able to grapple or submit Brian Carroway. Carroway's really good on that mat uh, as well, of course. And uh, in his last fight, I loved how he just used simple bread and butter striking to just outland um, Eddie Wineland. And Eddie Wineland is a guy who likes to move a lot, a lot of lateral movement, a lot of, a lot of footwork, hands down. Very similar to the way Alzheimer's Sterling uh, strikes, you know. Uh, obviously, Eddie's a high level striker, but um, they're similar in that regard. So for me, I just. Um, I definitely like the, uh, the value on Carraway. I like that he's, uh, like you said, battle-tested, veteran, a lot of things to check out. But uh, I'm leaning Algernon Sterling still in this fight. I think he's going to be able to get it to the mat, uh, maybe wrap something up, or, or maybe just be awkward enough on the feet to uh, really avoid any damage. So, uh, but, but definitely, I completely agree. The only bet to make here is Brian Carraway if you want to sprinkle that.
0: And I agree with you in the sense that... Uh... You know, Aljamain Sterling has done a really good job of not getting hit. This is a fight. You don't want to get hit in there. However, the opponents he's fought, you know, they're willing to keep that kicking distance with him. They're, they're not walking him down. And that's what I think Brian Caraway is going to do. That's what what's going to be the difference here if Caraway wins this fight. Now, CB, you think there's a chance of an upset here? Um,
2: you know, it's it's, uh, it's interesting because Caraway, of course, is extreme couture, and that was my job for over three years and um so it's hard for me to you know go against certain guys but I think Caraway's thing here is you know he does not he's not going to shoot for a takedown um because it's going to be tough to get Aljo off his feet Aljamain yeah on the feet he'll have to keep range keep him away but I can definitely see Aljamain you know securing the takedown and when Aljo's on top of you or even on bottom when she showed uh in the fight, when he got the arm triangle off his back, the guy's very tricky with his submissions. Um, he's got a hell of a jiu-jitsu coach in Matt Sarah, So, you know, you never know where he's going to pull something out. I thought he was going to take Eduardo's head off with that guillotine. Um, Caraway's best bet is on the feet, you know, stick and move, throw a shot, land him, don't get taken down, which it, I think Caraway has a better shot than some of the other guys that out there blocking the takedown. Um, plus Plus three fifty, you know, you never that that I think is a crazy line on Caraway because that's a lot of it, that's a lot of money to be made on a fight that is a lot closer than most people think. I think a lot of people in your common casual fan thinks Aljo's going to run through him because he's undefeated. But like you guys said, you got to take your first loss. Do I think this is going to be Aljo's first loss? No, I think Al Jermaine takes it.
0: Well, we're definitely going to tune in to find out. And next up, a lightweight matchup between Abel Trujillo. He's minus 320. The comeback on Jordan Rinaldi is plus 260. And, man, this was initially supposed to be Abel versus Carlos Diego. And you know we were going to cash that uh, Carlos Diego underdog bet for the second time in a row. But now we got Jordan Rinaldi in here. And you know what? He does have the style to beat a guy like Abel Trujillo. He's one of these, uh, you know, John Fitch guys, except he's – next generation version version of John Fitch, you know, he'll, he'll grind you out, he'll weather that storm, it's just a matter of, you know, is he gonna get knocked out in that first round or not, if you watch Abel's fights, he's actually not as explosive as he used to be, I think it might be the fact that, you know, he is an aging competitor, I wasn't aware of the fact that, you know, he's almost 33 years old, and with that style, man, you know, speed's the first thing to go. And, you know, you watch some of Abel's old fights in the UFC, and he bounces back and forth, and he's knocking down dudes like Tony Ferguson. He's an absolute monk. He's a killer in there, you know what I mean? Like his nickname indicates. But lately, if you watch his last two fights, you know, a lot's changed in the sport since his last two fights, if you know what I mean. He's not bouncing around like he used to. He's missing on his shots. And, uh, you know, that guillotine, a lot of people are like, where did that guillotine come from? But if you actually go back and watch... His last four fights, he's been going for that guillotine every single time, but he happened to catch Tony Sims with it. Do I think he'll catch Jordan Rinaldi with it? I don't. I think if he's going to beat Jordan Rinaldi, he has to knock him out. However, at plus 260, I think I might be willing to find out if Rinaldi can weather that storm because he does have the style to beat a guy like this. You know, He's very good at taking the back. He's very good at grinding guys out, and that's the kind of fighter you need against Abel Trujillo. Now, a lot of people have seen his knockout loss to James Muntasri, which was very brutal. But if you know the backstory, you know, Muntasri, it it was a 155-pound bout. On the day of the weigh-ins, Muntasri is like, you know, I'm going to weigh 160. I can't make the weight. So Rinaldi, he didn't have to take the fight at that point, but he was like, you know what, I'm a fighter, I'll take the fight. Then the day of the weigh-ins, you know, Muntasri shows up there. His, His hair is gelled back. He's chilling. He weighs in at 164. You know what I mean? And uh, Rinaldi had to cut all that weight. And Muntastri basically cheated and he went in there and won. But since that point, Rinaldi's been on a 5-5 win streak. He's finished UFC veterans. And he's battle-tested. You know, he has a finished win over Dennis Bermudez. He's been in there with Brian Ortega. So it, this isn't some green guy entering the UFC for the first time. This is a battle-tested vet. So it's a matter of weathering that storm. Will he weather the storm? I don't know. But at plus 260 and possibly 3-1 to one come way in time, I might be willing to spray a half unit on there.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, this fight just comes down to the fact that uh, Rinaldi's strength is Trujillo's weakness, and Trujillo's strength is Rinaldi's, uh, Rinaldi's weakness. Um, it just comes down to it, it can able get him out of there before Rinaldi takes his back and uh, chokes him out. Um I mean I definitely don't like the line on Trujillo. just knowing the fact that I know if he gets in put in a certain situation that he most likely will tap or, you know, look for his way out. And um Ronaldi he he's never we've seen him get KO'd by Muntashi and on tough uh he got he took a big shot by Joe Proctor. Um so I know he hasn't when he's fought dudes that hit hard and I know Abel hits harder than both of those dudes You know, you got to question, is he going to be able to, you know, take that punch? And he's taking the fight on short notice. But, I mean, this guy's a grinder. I like his uh, back-taking abilities. And um, at plus 260, I definitely understand a bet. And um, I don't know if I am taking that shot, but um, I like Rinaldi.
0: Yeah, and he is taking the fight on short notice, but he was also training for a a title fight. You know, it was the regional scene. This is a step up, but he was still in a fight camp so it's not just regular shape compared to fight shape he was ready to go so now it's a matter of can you withstand that barrage that Abel brings to the table can he Kyle
1: um I agree that the price is right if you want to lay some money and find out but um but yeah I was uh, when I watched that Muntasri fight, uh, I thought it would have been like some kind of kick that caught him all it, but uh, it was just bread and butter hooks and uppercuts you know that put him out granted you know uh, Muntasri was like 10 pounds heavier but uh, but that's what those are the same strikes that Abel Trujillo throws. Uh, you know, in all of his fights, he really looks for those big bombs. And uh, I definitely wouldn't bet on Abel Trajillo because, like you guys said, uh, if Ronaldo gets his back, you can put him in trouble, and uh, Abel can uh, Abel will tap, or even if he doesn't tap, he's gonna lose the bet. So, uh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, there's a clear theme to this uh, this card, and it's, it's just value plays like with Carraway, poke. Um, Rinaldi now, like, uh, do I really think he's going to win? No, but I think it's a lot closer than the line indicates. So uh, if you want to play uh, value bets like that, I think it's a good bet to make.
2: CB Gold? Uh, the thing, you know, I've, I've noticed with Abel is, number one, he's been on and off a lot because there's been injuries or dropouts. And there was, I think there was an issue with a visa for him a while ago. Um, so he doesn't fight too often. Coming out of that Black Zillion gym, they're definitely grinding and training every day. But the one thing I've noticed about Trujillo, and I'm sure you guys and everyone has, his gas tank comes into play a lot of the times when a guy tries to grind him. Um, And the one thing I noticed, which I guess not a lot of people saw, was a few weeks ago at the Titan fight in Florida. Yes, yes.
0: Thank you for bringing this up.
2: Yeah, Abel was sitting there, and he's drinking a beer in the audience, and I'm like, dude, you're fighting in three weeks. I mean, you're, what What are you doing drinking? And, and, you know, I posted on Twitter and people, well, you don't understand. They can have a drink at the end of the day. I'm like, no. No, you can't. Not when you're in fight camp. Not when you're trying to be the elite. You don't go into the UFC and you're sitting there taking your cut not serious. And, you know, you can't be drinking a beer at a fight event and just chilling. Like, you're fighting in three weeks. So, you know, that could have a lot to do on his cardio. That could have a lot to do on his weight cut as well because, I'm pretty sure that probably wasn't the only night he was fucking up, um, you know. And Abel's Abel's best chance is on uh, on the feet. His his wrestling is decent. It's not amazing. It's not up to what I think it should be based on where he trains and how far he is into the game, um, you know. And Rinaldi, he's got a good line on him. I was looking him up a little bit. And he's a tough kid. Like that, other than that, Montazri fight. Kids fought a lot of good guys, done very well, and, you know, if he was training for a title fight, now he's getting put into a little three-rounder. I could definitely see him shooting for a takedown goal for a submission or, you know, weathering the storm with Abel, just keeping his uh, keeping his distance for the first round, round and a half, and then Abel kind of hector Lombard's out there and just starts huffing and puffing. The bet's not a bad idea, but I think... I think Abel takes it. I think he wants it really bad. He needs to get back in there and pull it off.
0: Dude, I'm really glad you brought up the fact that, you know, he was on that Titan broadcast getting drunk with his boys. You know, it's totally fine for uh, Danny Hot Chocolate, who just won Fight of the Night, or Michael Johnson, who doesn't have a fight scheduled to, you know, have a couple drinks. But for Abel to be getting wasted three weeks before his fight, I'm like, come on, dude. So I was feeling so good about my Carlos Diego bet. But now, this is Jordan Rinaldi. I know for a fact, this guy's not out there drinking either. He takes his career very seriously. Not not to, you know, say that Abel doesn't, because I'm sure he's very hungry too. But like CB said, you can't be doing shit like that in the middle of a fight camp. You know, this is the UFC. This is the highest level. So, uh, yeah, man, we'll see how they look on the scale, and we'll, we'll make talks after that. <laughs> so, uh, next up, we got... A female bantamweight fight right? between Sarah McMahon. She's minus one fifty five. The comeback on Jessica Evil Eye is plus one thirty-five. And man, Sarah McMahon's been quite a disappointment in the UFC, right? For a, a for an Olympic caliber athlete, you know, in my opinion, she's one and four because she lost that Lauren Murphy decision you know, fight. You know, they gave her the decision, but she lost that fight, man. So she's only beat Sheila Gaff in the UFC. And the way she loses these fights is she quits, and uh, I don't really get why she quits because like you know she was an Olympian you gotta have a lot of mental fortitude to be an Olympian but I guess at the same time when you put so much effort into an early part of your career maybe you don't have that same drive as you used to and now she's a mom and you know our buddy Brad Tashchuk likes to talk about that mom quit not to imply that moms are quitters by any means but just that, you know, a cage fighter mom, that might be a different story. And with Jessica I, you know, I've bet on her many times and she's very inconsistent. She's got good skills, she's got good offensive striking, but sometimes her takedown defense is a little, you know, questionable. Sometimes her chin is a little bit suspect. She keeps it up in the air. And if I were to bet on this fight, it'd hundred percent be on Jessica I as an underdog because you know I don't like I like to bet against fighters that have quit in them. But with Jessica, she doesn't always show up, and she drops these close decisions. So I can't really say that. I trust her with my money. So I'm honestly going to pass. But if I were to bet on it, it would be Jessica I.
3: Yeah, I mean, um, Sarah McMahon, I mean, she's a, she actually can throw punches. Um, she actually hits fairly hard. I mean, she dropped Misha Tate uh, in that first round, broke her orbital, orbital bone, I think. But, I mean, like uh, Daniel said, I mean, when – when uh, when it gets tough, I mean, she looks for the door. And my um, thing with Jessica I is, I mean, I feel like she kind of looks for the door in a way as well, but in a different way. Um, I feel like she breaks really easy, but I mean, offensively striking, she's definitely faster. She can pop that jab. And even in her last fight against Juliana, I mean, she showed that her uh, grappling got a little bit better. She took Juliana down maybe twice, I think, and, uh, you know, she lost the point on the ground. But, I mean, in that fight, she just got out-hustled, but she showed me some improvement. My thing with Sarah McMahon is I would never bet on her because how can you trust trust her heart? I mean, she's looked for the door several times. She went down to a knee, to the body, and, I mean, Amanda Nunes does hit like a guy, so, I mean, I, I understand that one. But I mean, but uh, she straight up took a <laughs> <an laughs> knee, She took, bro. she took, she took a knee, flat out. But um, you know, I, I definitely understand. I, I'm definitely considering that shot on Jessica Ai, but, um, I. But I got to see how she's acting on Fight Week. See how she's talking, if she's emotional or not, and um, then we'll make talks after. <laughs> Rock Starzy, who you got, man?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm again right with you guys. Uh, the values on uh, Jessica I. A lot of these fights, it's just it's like they're worth half a minute, you know, just because you're picking the plus money. Uh, fighter. Um, Sarah McMahon, uh, in regards to her like Olympic-caliber athleticism, that was 12 years ago. So, I mean, sure, the Olympics is a great accomplishment, and just like with Segudo, you know, it's it's something to be proud of, but it just means you did one thing on one day. I don't really hold uh, Olympic wrestlers in, in super high regard, as far as like what they can do in the octagon. Um, it's more about what you do consistently, and you're right, like Sarah McMahon, she could have lost her last four fights Um, She gave that Misha Tate fight away, uh, bad fight IQ. And I I like Jessica Jessica, I I bet her in her last fight, Uh, she let me down there. I'm not sure she's going to let me down if I decide to sprinkle something on her. Uh, She does hit hard, like you said, pumps that jab, good cross. Um, And also training with uh, Steve Njocic, like, uh, there might be a whole bunch of uh, motivation behind that camp right now. So uh, Jessica I is definitely someone I'm looking on. But, I mean, what is it, plus 130, plus 141, like, uh, it, it, I would I would want the line to be a little bit better, like plus one
2: fifty. I would definitely uh, bet it, but uh, yeah, I'm looking at Jessica
0: I as well. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would prefer it to be plus one fifty, but <laughs> I honestly think it's accurate where it's at now. You know what I mean? Or even you can make an argument for Jessica being the favorite. CB, oh, what's your sure, opinion, man? Sure. Um,
2: you know, I was with uh, <clears throat> I was with Sarah. I think it was uh, about two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. At Invicta, she was cornering Alexa Connors, and she seems like she's got her head on straight. She's in good shape, doesn't seem like the cut's going to be too bad. Um, and I've noticed with Jessica I that she's not the best against wrestlers. And, you know, I would put Sarah McMahon as a better wrestler than Julianne Um So, you know, I like Jessica on the feet. She's definitely got power, she, she's very talented. But I just see Sarah kind of, you know, grinding her, taking her down, holding her down, working for a submission, if not just just landing on top and, uh, you know, just going from there. The line's real close, so it is a tough bet. Um, But I got got Sarah pulling it out.
0: Sarah is a better credentialed wrestler than uh, Juliana Pena, but is she a better MMA wrestler than Juliana Pena? Uh... You know
2: it is a good point it is a very good point. I mean we'll have to see we'll have to see if she can she can really get it in there and I know you know that that's kind of Jessica's uh, her fallback like uh, her where she falls the most no yeah. pun intended it's just the wrestlers yeah DB. Um, yeah, I, I respect that a lot like I
1: think Sarah's definitely a better wrestler than Juliana It's just like I, I think Juliana's a lot grittier as far as like uh, walking through shots and, and getting it into the clinch, getting it getting on top. Uh, I don't think Sarah McMahon could ride out the whole fight without getting popped at least once on the feet and if she does I think she goes down. So uh that's just my mentality behind that fight. But I definitely agree that uh, yeah. Sarah's a better pure wrestler than Julian. Yeah.
3: yeah, I mean uh I just think uh with McMahon, um it's just the fact that does she really even want this, you know? I mean mm-hmm. I mean uh this was some of the things that you know she's done, but my thing with Jessica I is in a, if you notice like before uh before her last fight, or the fight with Tate, she never gets up from her back. Like, she never works her way back up to her feet. When she gets taken down, I mean, she pretty much just lays down there until her last fight. So, uh, I mean, um, we'll see what happens and see if she stuffs the takedowns.
0: So you're saying, I mean, she showed an improvement in, yeah, in I a mean, past weakness yeah, of her exactly.
3: game. Before the Juliana before the fight, she never got up from bottom, not once. Oh. She always stayed on her back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know MMA Roaster would we'll be making some jokes here.
3: Now next up we got we
0: got Alberto Uda Pereira. He's a minus one twenty five favorite and the comeback on Jay Collier is plus plus one oh five. And uh you know, I think that odds makers just looked at the record and they set Alberto Uda as the favorite And, you know, they didn't even watch the film, because if you watch the film, I mean, this guy, first of all, he's got a soft frame, he's slow, he's old, but I'll give him credit. He's tough, he's got heart, and he's really good in that tie clinch. You know, that's what he goes for, at least. But when you talk about Jay Collier, you know, he does have flaws in his game, but he's got so much potential. And I feel like if he has, you know, on any given night, this guy can win. And the times he has lost, It might have been due to, you know, either that he was fighting a complete badass like Vitor Miranda or he was, you know, traveling to South Korea for the first time in his life against Dong Yang. And I mean, I can tell you what, that travel to South Korea, that destroys you, man. I know dudes that go there all the time for business and they say they never get used to it. It, I mean, the jet lag is no joke, but now Jay Collier is fighting in the United States. And it's Uda who has to fight outside of Brazil for the very first time. As far as the styles match up, I think that Collier's more explosive. He's, you know, a natural middleweight. And I think he's gonna find a way to knock out Uda here. So I took a shot at plus one twenty for one unit.
3: Yeah, um, it's a tough fight for me. When the fight got announced it was gonna either be a dog or a pass for me. I definitely understand the Collier bet. I mean, he he has the more he has the better upside. He's stronger, more powerful, better wrestler. Pereira's kind of choppy, sloppy, but he's really good in the clinch. Any, he, but he's won every fight that he's been in. You know, my thing with Collier is I don't think his cardio can support his activity on the feet. I feel like he blows himself out, and. um at the end of the first round he's completely tired you know when you look at that Dong yang fight granted Dong yang is strong as hell you know but still he even in the vitor miranda fight he was so exhausted at the end of that first round because he can't his cardio just can't support all of his activity because he throws everything into his shots and i think uh... this guy Uda could possibly catch him with a knee and tight you know and collier goes down but collier could knock him out too because this guy Uda's never faced anyone on this level but uh, it's either dog or pass for me, but um, I'll slightly lean coll- Collier. I will say that Dong Yang
0: and Vitor Miranda would both be Uda. But Rock Z, who you got in this fight? Uh,
1: I think uh, you made some great points about the, uh, the, uh, the travel to uh, South Korea, and I didn't really notice that. And you're right, Vitor Miranda is, uh, I believe, a much better striker than Alberto. Um, Alberto kind of just fights like a zombie, uh, walks forward, throws punches. I know it's like he gets on top, he just peppers away with shots, but doesn't really put a lot of power into anything. Um, so I definitely understand the Jay Collier fight. Bottom line for me, in uh, probably most likely deciding to pass on that uh, plus 120 on Collier, is that uh, I just don't want to lose money betting on a, on a fighter of this caliber. I don't really think he's that good. I think, um, you know, he's ha- he has his moments, but at the end of the day, he is 1-2 in UFC and his only win is a split decision. So um, you, like I said before, he made a lot of great points. The Vito Miranda fight was pretty close before he got caught, but uh, but at the end of the day, uh, an undefeated fighter coming in, I don't really want to bet against him for you know for plus one twenty. The juice is just not worth the squeeze in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean it's definitely risky, but when I watched the film, I was just like, man. This guy Uda, you know the level of competition. The dudes are like are quitting in their fights against him, and it's like not to like big blows either. It's you know he's like doing little love taps, and they're quitting on him. And the UFC yeah. is just a whole nother ball game. But I mean I feel you because Collier's cost me money two times because he quit. But man, I just don't see him quitting in this one. So we'll have to see what happens, man. But CB, who you got, Jake Collier or Alberto Uda? You know um, I haven't. Seen a ton on either guy. Um,
2: You know, it's it's always interesting to notice, and I like that it does get pointed out on here. You know, the travel becomes something that is very important, whether they're coming from Brazil and and coming to the U.S. or whatever it is. A lot of the factor of these fighters, you can tell, has to do with how early they come out. You know, I remember uh, Verdum for the for the Hunt fight went out to Mexico, I think it was like a month or six weeks early, and he was facing Cain originally, but he got there to get acclimated. Even Kenny Florian used to go to Denver and sleep in a tent for two weeks. So that that's something that plays a lot into it. Um, I think, you know, I, I think Collier can pull it off. Um, I like everything that, that all, all you guys said about uh, I I have to just, based off what I know, which I said isn't a ton, Uh, I'd have to go with Collier on this one. It's a close bet, but it seems like a good
0: bet. Yeah, and I hope it's a good bet because I put a unit on it. And next up, we got Paul Felder. He's minus 300. And the comeback on Josh, the People's Warrior. I don't know which uh, people he's referring to. Berkman, (laughs) he's plus 250. And, I mean, look, here's the deal, man. In my opinion, Felder should be a minus 450 favorite. Now, I've seen some sharp people. Take shots on Berkman, some very sharp people that I respect. Take shots on Berkman. But here's the deal, man. We can all agree that Paul Felder had an unbelievable fight with Edson Barboza. It was very close. It was back and forth. And then the Ross Pearson fight was a little underwhelming. But if you know the backstory, I mean, he was healing up from the Edson Barboza fight. He's chilling in his bathtub, drinking a beer, icing his shins. And then he gets the call to step up on a couple weeks short notice to fight Ross Pearson. So to him, he was like, yeah, I'll go in there and, you know, I'll I'll beat Ross Pearson. And he wasn't at 100%. So that's why he couldn't, you know, throw that output that he's known for. Then against Darren Crookshank, that was the best Crookshank we've ever seen. And, uh... Paul Felder goes out there and he finishes him. Now I think he's got that confidence back. And with Berkman, I mean, he's cutting way too much weight going to 155 pounds. We all know that for aging competitors, they shouldn't be dropping weight classes. But when they do, you know, it's a direct result of uh, what's changing in the sport. You look at a guy like Tiago Alves, who could barely make 170 pounds. Go watch UFC 85 when he fought Matt Hughes. Could barely make 185. I mean, 170 was ripped out of his mind. Now he's making 155, no problem. So, like I said, man, the sport is completely changing. And uh, I think Paul Felder is going to smoke Josh Berkman. Obviously, the people that are picking Berkman make the argument that, you know, Felder can be inactive and Josh Berkman likes to counter with big shots. He's a crafty vet. I get it. But he's an aging competitor. He's on his way out. And Felder's the hungrier guy. He's going to finish Josh Berkman here.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, um, when the fight got announced, I was expecting Felder to be like minus 500, minus 600, possibly. Just because uh what he's shown that he can do like in the Danny Castillo fight and the Edson fight, but you know after that, I mean it seems like he's uh showing up flat to these fights, not saying that he was you know on anything, but just like he's showing up flat like he he's uh his feet are just stuck in the mud, and it's like he's taking shots and not answering back and um I just think against a guy like Berkman who a guy like Berkman who just uh he likes to get hit. <clears throat> he likes to get hit and then just unload on these like big combos like but it's like serious heat you know he throws very hard he's got good wrestling he's beaten D1 wrestlers before and um you know if Felder shows up flat I definitely understand that shot on Berkman but I took that shot on Paul Felder to win inside the distance here because I think uh, he's got a new training camp now we think he's training with uh, Team Edgar Mark Henry and all of them and I think uh, those guys can give him the formula to put a put some good performances together, and um, I think uh, Josh, I mean, he's tough, but I just think Felder's just going to be too technical on the feet, the check knees, the leg kicks, the high kicks, the spinning attacks, and um, I think he's going to win. And I mean, Berkman is so battle-worn
0: at this point. You watch his UFC fights in his return, and I mean, he's looked really bad in every single one. Even the fight he, he got the victory in against KJ News, that was just because KJ didn't throw you know, KJ decided not to show up, and they cut KJ on the spot, which they should have because this is the UFC. You have to fight. So now he gets a chance against Paul Felder, and like I said, man, Paul Felder's going to finish him. What do you think, Kyle?
2: Yeah, I'm
1: looking at using uh, Felder as the parlay leg. I know you've uh, sworn off parlay, so I don't need to tempt you there, but um, but yeah, I'm pretty high on, uh, on Paul Felder, especially in this spot. Um, Berkman, uh, I actually thought he was kind of uh, impressive in, a, in an unorthodox um he definitely uh he does this weird thing where he throws a couple punches in and he just stands stock still and that that's all well and good if your opponents are retreating but uh paul felder is not one to retreat ever he uh he definitely will eat a shot to give a shot he's got an incredible chin he's way more technical on the feet and i was also impressed with his uh submission um in his uh like he jumped guillotine he jumped guard for a guillotine on darren crookshank i was i, I like to see fighters go for the submission like that um it, it is important to note that Berkmans only been finished once in his career by uh, um, Patrick Cote, a former 205er, big hitter. Steve but Carl. I think Paul Felder, um, he can put him away. He can land the hardest shot to win the decision, or, or perhaps uh, you know, uh, make a, a submission. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely looking at uh, at Paul Felder on uh, on this card. On make a bet on uh, on him in a parlay with uh, someone else later on.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, uh, it's Cote and Steve Carl. Carl finished him in World Cote Series of Fighting, but, but Cote knocked him stiff. Yeah. So you know that that's good. And you know, as far as parlays, even though I don't do them, I don't think that uh, Paul Felder is a bad parlay leg. You just gotta find another leg that's gonna be a winner. CB Gold, who you got, man? Um, you
2: know, with Paul Felder, I like I like the training camp that he came from. Good friend of Cowboys. He was training with. Uh, Kenzo Gracie, and then he's a Mark Henry and Edgar, and then, and, you know, Bergman, I was at the last fight with uh, K.J. Williams. I was there live, and Berkman fights, like, you got to step up to fight him, and K.J. wasn't really all there, so he didn't have a lot to work with. Um, not the greatest fight, not my most entertaining fight, but I definitely thought Bergman won that, but there wasn't really much to judge. I think with Felder, I think Felder's going to bring the fight to him. Great striker. Good jujitsu jitsu guy. Um, and, you know, I, I think he can defend the takedowns and, you know, land on Berkman. Plus the fact, like you said, you know, Berkman's dropping a 155. Now, that's, that's, that's a big drop. We're not doing 10 pounds here. 15 pounds is a lot of weight to drop. Um, I, I got Felder, and I would say, I would say inside, inside of the – I think he finishes him. I think Felder finishes Berkman.
0: I'd have to agree, my friend. And next up, we got the people's main event. We got Jorge Masvidal. He's plus 110. And Lorenz the Monsoon Larkin is minus 130. And, you know, a lot of people like to talk about the size difference. You know, it's a former 205-er versus a former 155-er. But if you watch them fight, it's a very interesting style matchup. You know, we all know Lorenz Larkin's known for his flashy style. He's explosive. He's dynamic. The kicks he throws are absolutely ridiculous. But there's one thing that Lorenz Larkin doesn't like. He doesn't like getting into a real gritty fight. And we all know Jorge Masvidal is down to get into a gritty fight anytime. So, you know, there's always the chance that Lorenz Larkin could catch him. He is the bigger man he- But if they get into a real fight, you know, kind of like when we went back to the Eric Koch versus Shane Campbell fight, if they get into a war of attrition, I got Jorge Masvidal all day. The line is a little bit too close for me to take that shot anymore because Jorge is known to lose close decisions. It just comes down to, is he taking this fight seriously? Because I really think Jorge is the better fighter here. But with him, it's not about who the better fighter is. It's about who shows up. You know, when he fought Ally Ayacinta, even though we rewatched that fight the other day and thought he won every round, I bet on Ally Ayacinta as the dog because, you know, Jorge Masvidal comes up on the scales. He's getting, you know, toweled down by Colby Covington. He misses weight. And then he misses weight for his uh, 170-pound debut. I know he's eating Oreos, but the thing is, he, he's a really damn good fighter, man. He's always been a good fighter. He's battle-tested, maybe even a little battle-worn, but he's so clean and technical. And when he wins fights, he takes guys to school. But, like but man, Lorenz Larkin is an explosive specimen. It's just he doesn't like a real fight. So it's about, you know, George Jorge not getting caught with too many leg kicks and, you know, throwing some hands on him.
3: Yeah, um, I think the... The real intriguing thing is, you know, Lorenz used to be a 205er in Strike Force, and George used to be a 155er in Strike Force. And, you know, um, I'm just, I'm, as far as betting George as an underdog, you know, the way I'm looking at it is uh, how much size uh, does Lorenz have on him, you know? But I think George, if he uses that uh, style that he used against Benson, you know, like George moved forward that uh, that whole entire fight. He stayed in his face, he outlanded him. And he, uh, you know, he had that pressure on him. The grappling exchanges were even. I know he has uh, the edge over Lorenz on the mat. And um, I mean, as far as Lorenz, I mean, I feel like he's just a guy that likes to throw that leg kick, those spinning leg kicks. He's got some good hands too, as well. But I feel like he likes to just load up on big shots, like big uppercuts and big hooks. Whereas George can counter those with straight punches and you know get that takedown. And, um, anytime I see Masvidal as an underdog, I'm definitely, you know, intrigued. Right now, I need that line to get a little better, but I'll still probably play it. And, um, you know, I definitely got George, but I am worried about that size advantage. And, um, but I think he pulls it out.
2: CB Gold? Um, I think we're expecting a monsoon on Sunday. Um, I just, you know, like you guys said, you got 205-a-rings, a rings a 155. pounder Both are very scrappy. Um... I don't know if there will be a finish. I definitely don't see that. Um, I also don't think there will be any takedowns. I think this has the Night Potential written all over it. Uh, I just think that, you know, if Lorenz comes in condition, and his gas tank is there, and, you know, all making weight is also something very important. Um, I still see, you know, Lorenz pulling it out on the feet. It would be a close fight. I wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be shocked if it was a split decision. But I, I think Lorenz has this. I think
1: he can pull it out. Rock starzy. Yeah, man. Uh, since dropping to 170, Lorenz has looked uh, phenomenal, I thought. Um, very, very crisp, fast striker. Hits hard. But Jorge Masvidal is on my top list. I think there's a good argument to be made that he's not known in the UFC. Extremely veteran, well-rounded. And uh, not only is he veteran and well-rounded, but he displayed in, in his fight versus uh, James Krause that if he finds, uh, you know, uh, a sizable advantage anywhere in the fight, that's where he's going to take the fight. Um, similarly to how George used to, he used to uh, fight people, just wherever you're weakest, that's where he's going. I really like uh, that about Masvidal. So if he does have a grappling advantage, I can see him, uh, you know, going for takedowns or at least just uh, going for takedowns to solidify rounds. Um, another thing to note, I think MMA Genius touched on this. Um, Lorenz throws himself off balance a lot. He, he overcommits on a lot of shots, and when you've got a bet like, like Masvidal, who does throw uh, crisp, uh, straight punches, he can definitely capitalize on that. So I agree. Um, the line's not really juicy enough for me right now, especially uh, because I haven't seen him uh, face off yet. But if you watch the weigh-ins and we see that Lorenz is a lot bigger, that line on Masvidal might get uh, juicy enough. And conversely, if they show up at the weigh-ins and they're actually about the same size, then I, I do think it's, uh, it's worth a bet on Masvidal, even at plus uh, 115 or 120 right, there
2: right now.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a good fight. I mean, when Masvidal beats dudes, he takes them to school and puts clinics on them. But with Lorenz, I mean, when he beats dudes, he KOs them stiff, you know. <laughs> but he, both these guys have a tendency to lose close decisions. Uh, we'll we'll see who loses the close decision on Sunday night. But next up, we got Vitor Miranda. He's minus 235. The comeback on Chris Camosi is plus 195. Now, you know, a lot of people are surprised that the line on Chris Camosi is as high as it is but you know he is a UFC veteran he's won a lot of fights he's been in big fights he's he's done it all but if you if you watch the film you'll understand why he's you know that big of an underdog because Vitor's more technical he's he's just a better fighter but the better fighter doesn't always win and Vitor is an aging competitor you know he's about 37 38 years old and you know, uh, Chris Camosi comes from that camp with this dude, just uh, Dustin Jacoby. And if you look at Dustin Jacoby, you know, he washed out of the UFC. He wasn't that good of a fighter. Now, all of a sudden, he's a world-class kickboxer and is knocking dudes like Wayne Barrett out, you know? So, you can never underestimate someone's growth potential. Like, people get better all the time. And uh, Chris Camosi could be getting better. But as of now, I do think Vitro Miranda is the more technical guy and i think he should get the victory here.
3: Yeah, you know, um when the fight uh when i saw Kamosi at plus 200 it, you know, it had my attention but uh when i watched the film i definitely understood why. You know, i actually think Kamosi's best chance at winning this fight is by submission or by taking him down. Um, you know, we saw uh, Jake Collier take down Vitor and control him fairly easily in that first round. Um, i think he could, he has a tendency to probably be pushed up and pushed up against the fence and you know, Hold that. Try to get into that clinch, and Kamozi um, could possibly, you know, muscle muscle him up against the fence and slightly edge out rounds. But I think Vitor's just going to land the more devastating shots. You know, in that fighting against Tom Watson, Kamozi, you know, he showed that he added uh, that jab into his game. But um, besides that, I mean, he still looked like the same guy taking all those punches. And you know, even though he did win, it wasn't an impressive performance. But as far as Vitor, I mean, he keeps looking better and better, so I have to lean his way. You know, what's one nice thing that Chris Kamosi did in that Watson fight I liked?
0: It's funny, because we were in Nashville with the uh, MMA analysis crew. We saw Chris Kamosi at the bar the day before the fight. Now, he wasn't drinking or anything. He was just hanging out. But uh, he was like, I'm going to choke out Tom Watson with a guillotine choke in the first round. And one minute into that fight, he almost choked out Tom Watson with a guillotine choke. So that was pretty cool to see that, you know, he has been working on rounding out his game. but. Sometimes that's not enough with certain guys like Vitor Miranda, but at the same time, Camosi could use his experience. Is he going to use his experience and get the upset here, Kyle?
1: Um, at F200, I'm willing to uh, take the shot. He's got a bit of a size advantage against Vitor, and uh, I agree Vitor is the cleaner striker, more technical, and the way he wins this fight is just crisp uh, volume striking, high volume striking. But, uh, but yeah, I, I like a shot on uh, Chris Camozzi. Um, it's not as if, you know, in his last few fights, you know, Vito Miranda has been able to expose a couple guys who weren't the greatest on the feet. Um, Clint Hester, you know, you could say he's a striker, but bottom of the barrel. Jake Collier, he caught him with a head kick. And uh, Marcelo he he's just going for takedowns. So uh, if you're going to give me um, the bigger guy, and he's also a Muay Thai fighter primarily, and he's a little bit more well-rounded, even though I'm giving Vito Miranda the, uh, the striking edge slightly, I think uh, for the size and the well-roundedness um and the odds. I, I like uh,
0: Chris Camosi. I can never fault someone for taking a shot on a dog. Now uh C V Gold. I mean unless it's uh, Cody Fister, no. But uh C V Gold, who you got here, man?
2: You know, it's a, it's a it's a tough match to call.
0: Uh they're both really good strikers. Um
2: Camozzi, I think, has been around more fought more fought higher up guys. We all know he lost twice to Jacaday, but that's kind of expected. Um Either one could do very well. I'm not sure if it ends up on the ground, just like the last one. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a three-round war on the feet. Um, and, yeah, komogi has got a great camp. I'm actually uh, friends with one of his cornermen and I think his nutritionist, Tyler Minton, who also works with uh, Megan Anderson, James Krause, Tim Elliott, those guys out of Glory Fitness in L.A. Komogi's uh, looking good. I've heard he's feeling good. Um, and as an underdog at almost plus 200, that's that's a really good bet. That is a really good bet. Kamozi you know, that Joe Riggs fight, holy shit, that that was just, watching that was, like, painful at the same time. It's like, Kamozi's a tough, gritty kid. Vitor's tough. Came off a tough Brazil finalist. So it could go either way, but I'm thinking... Who, which Vitor, I think, is the older guy, but I think he's going to be a little bit fresher in there, so I'm going to go with Vitor Miranda.
0: It's going to be a good fight regardless. I do believe they're going to stand up, and the better man's going to win. Now, next up, we got a featherweight matchup between Henan Barrao He's minus 185, and Jeremy Lil Heathen Stevens is plus 160. I mean, you guys know the deal with, with Jeremy Lil Heathen Stevens. He can knock anyone out on the planet, but if you look into it, he hasn't knocked anyone out with his hands since 2011, but that's neither here nor there. That doesn't mean that he can't knock Hennan Barrau out on Sunday night, but Hennan's the better fighter everywhere. It's just with Stevens, he's got. You know, one-punch knockout power with kicks, with knees, with his hands. And he might be the hungrier guy. You know, Burrell, some people say he's a broken man. But at the same time, I think he made the right choice by moving up to 145 pounds. A lot of people criticize his performance against Mitch Canyon, which, you know, the way I look at it is, you know, was was just chilling and cruising in there. He drops him in the first round. He takes him down in the second round, and he chokes him out in the third round. So to me, it wasn't really that bad of a performance. You know, Mitch Kenyon's no slouch. Now he's moving up to the proper weight class. And I say proper weight class, and, you know, we're talking about a former champion at 135 pounds. With Jeremy Stevens, you know, he, he's 11-11 in the UFC for a reason, because he beats a lot of guys, but the guys that he loses to are former champions, top contenders, and just, you know, top-level fighters. And once Hanan Burrao? He's a former champion. He's the kind of guy that Jeremy Stevens loses to. And, you know, I understand taking the shot on Stevens just because the line on Burrell is a little too high. And there's a lot of question marks. You know, he's, he lost to one guy really badly, two to, you know, twice. But, uh, you know, d- don't be surprised if Jeremy Stevens starts swinging out of air and starts huffing and puffing. Starts eating a lot of leg kicks and you see Burrell pick him apart. But no bet for me.
3: Yeah, I mean, um, I definitely think uh, Stevens is a live dog in this fight. Um, It's just a matter of uh, the only value i see in this fight is Stevens by KO. I don't think he's going to win a decision in this fight. You know, like Daniel said, I mean, I feel like his power is a blessing and a curse because, you know, he just likes to load up on those big shots and gas himself out. You know, I actually think Stevens' uh, ground defense has gotten a lot better over the years. I mean, in that Bermuda's fight, the DuBronx DuBronx fight, he didn't get subbed. Um, you know, Charles had set like two good arm bars in that were fully locked in and he didn't tap, you know, in the Bermudez fight, you know, he stayed composed when his face was covered in blood. So I feel like he's improving in some areas, but I feel like he's really battle worn. He's got 20, 20 plus UFC fights. He's been through it, but I feel like Kenan, I don't think he, I, I, I think there's a, I think there's a big drop off with him, you know, from the. From the first TJ fight to the Gagnon fight, I feel like he took a lot of unnecessary shots against Gagnon. He let Gagnon get in his face at times with ease and let like Gagnon landed big hooks. And you know if you do that with Jeremy, you know you're in big trouble. The only value I see is Jeremy by KO. I definitely wouldn't parlay Hennon just after... I feel like, you know, possibly TJ might have, you know done the groundwork for Jeremy to get a KO here. I mean, he took like 30 unanswered punches several times and, you know, Jeremy has a puncher's chance, but that's the only value I see. Kyle?
1: I really like Jeremy Stevens in this spot. I think um, I think he's got out outgunned where Henning is used to being the guy with more power. That's where he found a lot of his success at uh, Bantamweight. He had, a, he had more power than these guys and he was able to keep them out of his reach. I don't really see Jeremy Stevens staying uh, away from him. I think he's going to get in his face, like the genius said, Mitch Gagnon hit Henan way too much for my liking, and if Jeremy Stevens puts hands on you like that, he's going to put you out. He's a lot bigger than Mitch Gagnon, so not only will he have more power, but he'll be able to reach him, and Henan Burrell is just one of those classic uh, Norvanyal-style strikers, and what I mean by that is they hold their ground, they either answer with punches, or they pivot off, or, or you know what I mean? But they, They're not very mobile. They don't they don't uh, jump in and out, move around the octagon. They stand really still, and I think that gives a stationary target for Jen Stevens to land some bombs. So the way I'm actually looking at this, betting on this fight is a unit on Stevens that at least plus 150, and then throw a half unit on him by KO at uh, plus 300. But yeah, I uh, I think this is a bad move for for Henry Barao. I think uh, I think he's, he's giving up all the advantages he had at uh, at 135, and also in that TJ e. Dillashaw fight, the rematch, I was really impressed with Henning in the first round. He looked a lot better than I had remembered, but he wilted really fast in the in the second or the third round. He was already uh, gassing out. And Jeremy Stevens might gas out as well, but he closed heat right to the end. So um so yeah, I actually I like the bet on Jeremy Stevens in the spot.
0: Yeah, I mean I don't fault the bet at all. It's just the thing you gotta consider is that, you know, Mitch Gagnon doesn't just throw one shot at a time. First of all, he's a lot faster than Jeremy Stevens because he's a bantamweight. He's a combination puncher. And then TJ is the ultimate combination puncher with Jeremy. He's a one shot at a time kind of guy. So you got to pray that he lands that one shot. Maybe he does because, I mean, he's knocked plenty of dudes out. But you got to hope and pray because he's not winning a decision here.
3: Yeah, um... Like uh, like Kyle was saying, I mean, um, I feel like in, in Hennin's last fight, in the gang now fight, like, he wasn't moving his head at all, and he hasn't been moving his head. But I feel like he's just been getting away with it due to the opponents he's been fighting. But, you know, uh, Jeremy's battle-worn, but uh, we'll see. CB? Um, you know, I think one of the
2: most important things that Hennon needs to do is avoid bathtubs. I think that's uh, really important so he doesn't, get knocked out before the fight. He's got five days left, no bass. beyond um, that, you know, I think Jeremy Stevens at the line that he's at, I think that's uh, that's that's pretty high in my opinion for what I think could go down. You know, you're talking about Hannah Burrell doesn't have a lot of, of movement. The Nova Young guys are kinda of known for that. Jeremy Stevens is is a alliance guy, so he's training with Dominic Cruz, kinda of working a little bit. He's got power to finish Hannah Burrell. Um, I think it's a tough fight. Styles make fights, of course. But I think Stevens can pull off the knockout. I, I really do. The decision, I don't know. If it goes three rounds, it's going to be tough. But I think inside of one, one and a half, I think Stevens can pull it off by KO.
0: Sounds like three, of you guys are going with Stevens with confidence. Uh, you know, for me, it's just tough for me to bet on him because, you know, when I do bet on him, he starts swinging at, at air and. He gases out hard, and you know he'll win from time to time. You know, like he did against Bermudez. But man, it's just tough for me to justify a bet on him. Even though I thought I, I thought he beat Cub Swanson. Actually, if you go back and rewatch that fight, he had a uh, Cub wobbling a little bit. But anyways, man, we'll have to see what happens. Next up, I just want to jump in and
1: say I don't I don't think it's uh, you know beyond the realm of possibility that Stevens wins the decision. I think he can uh, steal it by landing the hardest shots. And it's also important to note, like that Max Holloway fight. Uh, Holloway clearly won, but it was competitive, and Holloway had to fight super, super smart and careful. He's bigger and he's way more mobile than henin So, although yeah, we've seen Gennady throw at or swing at air in the past, um, he's fighting a stationary target here. So, I think uh, I think henin can get beat up for either a big hook, a hook, or uh, an uppercut coming up the middle when he shells with his uh, shoulders
2: high.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought up the Holloway fight because I give Holloway a lot of credit in that performance. A lot of people like to act like, oh, that wasn't the same Max Holloway, but I completely disagree. I I thought he fought a very smart, very composed, very mature fight, and uh, that's why he beat Jeremy Stevens because, I mean, you know, you don't want to take punches from this guy you know uh, max took one or two punches and in his his post fight interview he was slurring you you know what i mean that's how hard Mm -hmm. jeremy stevens hits but you got you know what you're up against and you know the risk you're taking when you bet on jeremy stevens but plus 160 I, i don't blame you guys so next up Tarek Safadine, minus 125. The comeback on Rick, the horror story, is plus 105. And, you know, people were saying that Tarek Safadine might have a little injury, but word on the street is the injury is just a cut on his knee. So, I mean, I don't really see what the big deal is. And when I initially was breaking this this fight down in my head, I was like, man, you know, Rick's story is a southpaw. Tarek loves to throw leg kicks. It's really hard to throw leg kicks on a southpaw. But then, you know, you watch his... uh, I think it was his fight with Jake Ellenberger, and he comes out southpaw the entire fight. So he likes to mess with dudes and change his stances, and I actually expect him to come out southpaw in this fight as well. Tarek is exceptional with his combinations, with his leg kicks especially. It's all about the kicks with this guy. You know, he doesn't throw too many hands, but what he does throw with his hands is that jab. He'll stick, you know, he'll throw like three jabs, and then he'll throw a nice leg kick when you're not expecting it. And, uh... He's good as hell. The one the one issue with Tarek, it's that chin. You know, he's known to be wobbled. He got wobbled in the Hyung Yu Lim fight. He got knocked out in the Rory McDonald fight. He even got wobbled against Jake Ellenberger. And I know Rick Story hasn't fought since 2014. He's coming off a serious layoff. But if you let that dude touch you on the chin, it could be lights out. So Tarek has to be composed. He has to have a great performance. And, you know, we know he has the cardio to go all three rounds. This guy's not a knockout artist. He's a decision machine, but he's a striking decision machine. You know, he's a, you know, it's funny. Like, who's a good wrestler that always wins decisions? You know, he's like the aspirin of striking. He doesn't finish dudes. Mm-hmm. But he just uh, leg kicks them and wins decisions every single time. And I think as long as he doesn't get knocked out, as long as he doesn't go down, I
3: think he's going to win a decision here against Rick Storey. Yeah, I think there's a good chance uh, Rick could get, you know, blasted from kicks on the outside. It just depends on which Rick story shows up. I mean, this guy has a tendency to be very inconsistent throughout his career, but when he's on, I mean, he's one of the best in the division, you know. He's a bulldog. He gets in your face. He rips that body. He hits hard, and we know, like Daniel said, Tarek has been known to do the chicken dance from time to time, and, you know, uh, but I feel like Rick story has to has to somehow – rock him in one round and you know slightly edge out around by pushing him pushing him against the fence to win a decision but if not I think Tarek's just gonna stay on the outside blast him with kicks and as long as he you know doesn't get wobbly too much you know um, he should I think he should win a decision but I mean I definitely understand that shot on Rick's story this guy is one of the most underrated guys in the division and when he's on he's capable of beating a lot of dudes so I definitely understand that shot
0: yeah and i mean you make some good points about his consistency i mean this is the kind of guy that will beat johnny Hendricks but lose to charlie breneman so you know on his best day he beats world-class fighters he beats champions but on his worst day he loses to journeyman so it's all about which rick is going to show up and i hate saying shit like who's going to show up because i feel like that discredits the opponent but that's really the case here what do you think kyle
1: uh, yeah, I think uh, Sassadine is going to tear him up on the feet. Um, it's just a matter of if Rick can mix it up, if he can get it into the clinch, maybe score a takedown just to, to provide that threat um, or work from top position. But uh, the way Sassadine got rocked in the Ellenberger fight was off a clinch break. So I can really see Rick Story bullying him up against the fence and then breaking away and landing hooks. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think Sassadine just keeps him at the end of that jab. Uh, like you said with the southpaw, you know, it's hard to leg kick a off, but Tarek is completely ambidextrous. He, he switches his stance all the time, gives, gives fighters a bunch of different looks, and that's something I really like seeing in fighters, um, being able to fight from both stances. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I think uh, the other thing to note in this fight is, yeah, Tarek wins all his fights by decision, and so he loses all his fights by decision. So that is just, to me, uh, the clear pick. But uh, on a card with, like, so many underdogs, and I'm probably going to have a lot of action uh, on this card, I'm going to reserve safadine. Um, I'm just going to like hold off on a bet until and I'll see if, if uh, the other bets I'm making are coming through. If I need a rescue bet, I might, uh, I might end up putting something on Safedine, uh somewhat live. But, uh, but yeah, I'm going with Safadine, Pretty much a clear-cut decision.
0: Yeah, I'm actually curious what the safadine by decision prop is. If it's plus, plus money, oh, that, that might be worth a stab. Now, Stevie, who you got between Safadine and Rick?
2: You know, I was worried about hearing Tarek that he had an injury and hearing there's it's just a cut and whatever. Is, is That's good, in a sense, because you know it's not something where after, whether win or lose, you're be like, well, you know my knee Because we've heard it a thousand times from everybody. Um, story's a grinder. To win this, he would have to get inside, land some shots, get his takedowns, clinch, that type of stuff. If Tarek can keep it on the outside, like he's very, very good at it, throw his leg kicks, switch up the stances, confuse Rick. You know, it, it could go either way. And like you said, it's not something you always want to say where is the guy going to show up. But like like you said, Rick Story loses to Brennan, he, uh, he beats Hendricks. And then just demolishes Gunnar Nelson, who was on a huge rise and everybody was touting him. And he just shut down his game almost completely. Um, I like Tarek a lot. I think he's a very talented fighter. I love the way he strikes. Always liked him in strike force I just think that Story can grind him out and take the decision not using his wrestling.
0: And guys, it's time for the main event of the evening. We've been waiting for this fight for a long time. Just any time either of these guys <laughs> fights, especially Tomas Almeida, it's an absolute treat. I mean, you got Tomas Almeida, he's minus 155. The comeback on Cody Garbrandt, or as they like to say in Brazil, Garbranch, is plus 135. And I mean, look, here's the deal with this fight. Cody Garbrandt, I, you know, I think he's a little bit overhyped. I think that he's got a good left hook. He's got a good right shovel punch. He's got a suspect chin. He's, he's got some pretty cool tattoos. But, you know, when it comes to winning these fights, you know, his UFC debut, he goes in there against Marcus Brimage. First round and a half, he's throwing bombs. Then he arguably loses the second half of the second round. He's losing all of the third round, and then he knocks out the you know Marcus Brimage, who's known for getting knocked out. His very next fight, you know, he gets a showcase against Henry Brionis. He's supposed to go in there and starch Henry Brionis. and he uh, you know struggle. I mean, I don't want to say he struggles because it was thirty twenty seven, but uh, you know he took some shots in that fight. He didn't look very impressive at all. You know, Briones is a guy that my boy Cheeto Vera knocked out cold. And, you you know, I know I know for a fact Tomas Almeida would have knocked out Henry Briones. And then he takes on Augusto Tanquino-Mendez, and he should be thanking God that he took on Augusto Tanquino-Mendez, because initially, he was supposed to fight John Lineker, and uh, th- that would have been a career changer. Now, people talk about how Cody Garbrandt's undefeated. Go to YouTube real quick and type in Cody Garbrandt versus Gerald Hodge, and then look at me with a straight face and tell me that he's undefeated, because... He's not undefeated. Now, someone's going to be like, oh, but that was an amateur fight. Yeah, uh, they were using four-ounce gloves, no shin guards. The only reason it was an amateur fight was because they weren't getting paid. So, as far as I'm concerned, this guy's not undefeated. He's tasted the darkness of a vicious KO before. And he's done the chicken nets in a couple of his UFC fights, and... That's not going to go well when you're fighting against a guy like Tomas Almeida who, you know, you guys have heard me talk for a very long time about how this guy is a future UFC world champion. I've been saying that since his legacy days. You know, he's 21-0 and with 20 finishes for a reason. People like to talk about his padded record. Well, I mean, he's knocking out guys like Brad Pickett, guys like Anthony Burchett, guys that don't normally get knocked out. And he's doing it in style, man. It's not, you know, some herky-jerky shit where he'll throw the occasional head kick. This is a guy that uh, he paints a picture with his striking man, you know, beautiful jab to a straight cross, to a body shot, to a leg kick, to flying knees, he's got this very nice overhand right that hits you in the back of the head and stuns his opponents, and man, very nice elbows from up close, he's got it all, check knees, and you know what's interesting about him? You know, with a lot of guys, you're like, oh, but what happens when he faces adversity? Well, when this guy faces adversity, you know, he gets back up to his feet, he smiles at you, and then he knocks you out. And that's been the case every single fight he's faced adversity. And he's got, you know, the thing I like most about him is that his composure stays the same the entire fight. It's just, you know, he's a bit of a slow starter. So he takes some punches. He gauges you. He reads you for the first couple of minutes just like all the greats do. You remember Anderson in his prime? You know, he usually took off the first two minutes to gauge his opponents, see what they're throwing at him. And that's what Tomas does too, man. He keeps his hands up high. I know he gets tagged early. He probably will get tagged early by Cody. But once they start exchanging a little bit, and once, uh you know, Tomas lands that nice little overhand right to the top of the head, maybe a nice elbow, maybe a nice knee, Cody's going to sleep here. And I put four units on Tomas Almeida.
3: Um, yeah, Definitely got Tomas Almeida in this one. I just think he's way too diver- diverse, way too many more uh, weapons. He's too comfortable in that line of fire. Of course, Garbrandt has that puncher's chance. He's got a nice Chris left hook, but I think he takes too many shots. I think as the fight gets on, he gets a little sloppier. He starts, you know, looking like a kind of a brawler, you know, uh, swinging at air, throwing big, looping punches, and I think Thomas will just counter those so easily with straight punches, and I think Thomas, you know, he definitely has signs of future world champion, you know, when Dominic Cruz is done, of course, but I think, uh, I just think this kid's way too good for Garbrandt, and I think Garbrandt's going to take his first up, and uh, and, uh, I just think this guy's just too violent on the feet, man, like, of course he could, his weakness is the left hook, which Garbrandt, that's Garbrandt's best punch, but if you want to take that shot, take that shot. But I just think this kid's just way too good. And I just think he when he gets hit, you're just you're just amping him, amping him up even more to just kill you, you know?
0: Yeah, he's an absolute <laughs> monster,
3: man. Who you got, Kyle?
1: Uh, yeah, it's very interesting because uh, before I did the tape study for this fight, you were already dropping four-unit bets on Almeida. So, um, I, obviously, I respect your opinion a lot. So, I went into this uh, tape study kind of playing double the advocate, really looking for a case for Cody Garbrandt. And uh, like the genius said, it is that left hook. Uh, Thomas Almeida got caught by that left hook when he fought Brad Pickett, but he was just hanging out in the pocket a little bit too much, kind of watching his work. And that's Pickett's best punch. He's a much more veteran fighter than, uh, than Garbrandt. Um, at the end of the day, Thomas Almeida is just way too sharp for Garbrandt, and he's, he's way too uh, composed, like you said. Um, when Cody gets in exchanges, he st- he bites down on the mouthpiece, and he gets wild. But when he does that, his hooks get wider and wider. And uh, and Thomas doesn't do that at all. He stays just razor sharp in the pocket. Um, you saw that knockout of uh, Anthony Berchak. It was just a, a perfectly timed short right hand. And uh, I, I just don't see any way that Cody survives this fight. As you said, he's been knocked out cold before. Um, and, and I just think he, he's way too hittable. He's way too... Um, he's not defensively sound enough. He, he's got that good offensive boxing. But at the end of the day... Thomas Almeida has eight limbs, better defense. I think he's quicker. I think he's more educated, more veteran, more like everything is favoring Thomas Almeida here. So the bet that I have right now, I put one unit on Almeida by KO at plus 110. I'm also looking at putting Almeida in a parlay with Paul Felder. I got to get you plus money around plus 110, plus 115, uh, either one unit or two units on that. And then I'm also looking at uh, the under one and a half and get that at plus 155. And uh, what we know about Almeida is he might start slow, like Anderson used to, but he picks it up and he, he builds on momentum. Right? He keeps pushing the pace. He has a lot of late first-round knockouts. And uh, and I also like that bet because it kind of gives you a little bit of insurance if Cody does uh, catch him with the left hook and maybe it's a, you know, a quick uh, stoppage, an early stoppage. At least you would get that bet back. But, yeah, I'm all over Almeida, uh, early K.O
0: yeah and a lot of people like to talk about uh cody's quote-unquote clean boxing technique i'm like what clean boxing technique He, he keeps his chin up in the air he only throws hooks and uh shovel punches clean boxing technique is throwing nice straight punches then mixing in your hooks this guy's kind of a you know he's a sloppy brawler i do think he has potential for the future but right now he's just a little bit too green and almeida is too smart of a fighter for him. He's too creative in there. And I think he's a future world champion. What do you think, CB?
2: You know, there's a lot of things that you guys touched on that I like. Um, Number one, I don't think Cody would even have got this fight or have still been undefeated if he had to fight Lineker. Um, I I thought when that fight got announced, I'm like, awesome, another sacrificial lamb for Lineker. The other thing that that I like, well, that i noticed about this is, you know, Alpha Male's kind of leading at their state right now on Garbrandt because all, the, all the, the great ones have left. There's nobody else undefeated there anymore. I know Faber's fighting Cruz the next week, but they're like leaning on Garbrandt to be the next big thing, and I think the UFC just put uh, a wall in front of them that's going to stop that. Tomás Almeida is an insane fighter, very short, very talented, very explosive. You know, he trains out of uh, Brazil with Macaco, who is a Brazilian legend. Um, very, like, like you guys said, he he can he can win with all eight limbs. We've seen him land elbows. We've seen him land flying knees that put picket on just stupid street for a few days. And uh, kicks, punches, everything. I've been, I've been. Uh, a lot of people have been telling me, you know, you're crazy to count out Garbrandt. I said I might be crazy, but. It'll prove this Sunday. I think Almeida has a real good fight ahead of him that he can really take another big step in the right direction, and you know, kind of, kind of put a giant, uh, a giant stick into the whole alpha male um, grave. I think it's, it's it's one last nail into a guy that they're leaning on. I think Almeida by KO is is very, very evident, and very possible.
0: Yeah, I, I can't wait to see it, man. I mean. Like I said, I've been saying for a long time, this guy's a future world champion. Watching him fight is a thing of beauty. He's the kind of fighter that, you know, if you have friends that, you know, aren't quite into the sport and you want to show them a guy, you know, for me, the guys would always be, you know, people like Matt Brown or Frankie Edgar, you know, show them fighters like that. But nowadays, I show them fighters like Tomas Almeida because, I mean, it's just, it's beautiful violence. So, yeah, now we got to talk about the fight to watch. And the fighter to watch. Let's talk about the fighter to watch first. So, MMA Genius,
3: who's your fighter to watch for UFC Vegas? Uh, Carraway. I might have to say, uh, Caraway. I think he's going to pull off the upset. Yeah,
0: and you know what's an interesting dynamic about this fight? Is that a couple
3: months back
0: when, uh, Aljamain Sterling first got the fight, you know, he's posting videos about how, uh, oh, is the most sloppiest striker I've ever seen. He's, he's, he's making tweets Oh, Caraway's hiding under Misha's tit and all this stuff. Which I mean, is, is like, is that a bad thing? I mean, he's got a hot girlfriend. I don't, I don't see how like, not a bad thing at like, all. I, like, I, I, like, I bet most of us would love to go hide under her tit. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, like, I've look amongst my friends. I've never understood hating on someone for having a hot fucking girlfriend. Like, I, like I know. Uh, like, you know, friends, you know, behind your back, they'll be like, oh, she's kind
3: of a whale, you know, or some <laughs> shit like
0: that, if your girlfriend's a little ugly, but uh, if you got a sexy girlfriend like that, how the hell can you talk shit, but here's where I'm going with this, that was just a little, you know, side rant, the the place I'm going with this is, so, he's making comments like that to get the fight, and now this week, he's saying shit like, you know, I think Brian Caraway is a world class fighter, and I think he's better than Tomas Almeida and Cody Garbrandt, like, now... I think shit's getting real for him. He's, like, realizing that this isn't a fucking joke anymore. He's not hiding under uh, Misha's tit. You know, he's going to get a rude awakening. So I definitely agree with your fighter to watch. Now, Rockstarzy, who's your fighter to watch?
1: Um, it's a tough one. I really think I'm going to go with Jeremy Stevens, man. I think uh, just like uh, Olympic medals, former champion, it adds something to to and Burrell where if Jeremy Stevens knocks him out, he's going to get a bunch of steam beating a former champion. But I really think this is a great matchup for him. I think he's got a stationary target moving up from a lower weight class. Maybe Burrell has uh, you know is quick for this weight class. Maybe he's got more gas. But at the end of the day, I don't think he can change his style enough. And I think it's setting Jeremy up for another highlight reel knockout over UFC champion.
3: Yeah,
0: those are some good points. c b Who's your fighter to watch for UFC Vegas?
2: You know, like like you guys know, I'm going to be there live. And uh, as soon as it ends, I got a four hour drive back home with my girl. And um, honestly, I think the first thing that we're going to be discussing when we get in the car for the first 15, 20 minutes, especially since this is her first UFC live event, um, I think we're going to be talking about Tomas Almeida's destruction of Cody Garbrandt. I know he's a favorite, but at the same time, the guy puts on fucking shows, so I, I think he is just going to take another step in the right direction towards the 135 title shot and uh, just shutting up Team Alpha Male altogether. Tomas <laughs> Almeida all day.
0: <laughs> you know, I often don't like to pick fighters from the main event for the fight to watch, but I mean, come on, you've got to go with Tomas Almeida because if there's one fighter on this entire card that I have to call my friends and be like, hey, You gotta watch this guy. It's Tomas Almeida. I mean, like we said before, this is a guy that paints pictures in there with his striking. And, you know, his takedown defense is getting a lot better. His get-up game is really good. And, you know, it's funny. If you watch that fight with Pickett, people only remember, oh, he got dropped twice. Yeah, well, the first time he gets dropped, immediately he's going for a heel hook. You know, this guy's got so much heart. He's such a gamer. Another thing I like about that fight is Pickett actually threw a flying knee at Tomas Almeida first, mm. and then Tomas was like, oh yeah? So then he throws a jab-flying knee back and knocks him out. So, you know, Tomas, idea. he's a gamer in every sense of the word. And, uh, you know, I was telling rock stars that he's kind of like Picasso. He told me not to get ahead of myself, but I mean, just watch him fight. I mean, it, it, it's a thing of beauty. He's an artist, you know? And uh, he's definitely my fighter to watch. Now, we got to talk about the
3: fight to watch. So, MMA Genius, what's the fight to watch for UFC Vegas? <clears throat> um... I might have to go with uh, Hennan and Jeremy, man. I feel like we could either see a big, you know, KTFO, or we could see a bloody back and forth battle with Henan edging it out. But uh, Jeremy Stevens, anytime he fights, you know, I stay glued to the TV, so I'll take that.
0: Rock Starzy, the the
3: fight to watch.
0: Uh, I'm gonna go with Mads Vidal versus Larkin. Uh, I think it's a great,
1: stylistic matchup. It's gonna be very entertaining. Um, you know. It's going to be fireworks too. Like Lorenz throws heat, he comes to fight. Mazadon knows how to handle himself in any situation. So I'm very interested to see uh, how Boy uh, approaches this fight and how he adapts uh, over the course of three rounds.
0: Yeah, that's definitely one of the fights to watch. I mean, if you're not watching that one, you shouldn't be watching this sport. Now, CB, what is the fight to watch for UFC Vegas?
2: I think the biggest one for me is is one we've touched on quite a few times, and you know, brings in two guys that have been talking a lot of shit, but at the same time, they bring a lot to the table, and there is a rankings war going on, and that's Al Jermaine, and Carraway. It's different styles, both very tough guys, uh, both come from great camps, and, you know, it, it could go either way. It could end in any facet of the fight, on the feet, on the ground, wherever it is, I think they're going to put on a hell of a show, and I think either one of them, you know, if Aljo gets it, that's the biggest name he's pulled off. If Carraway pulls it off, you're, you're basically removing Al Jermaine from his undefeated mount, and you're taking your name to the next level where a lot of people are running around going, oh, Miss, Miss, Mr. Misha Tate, Mr. Misha Tate, he ain't nothing. You know, he can make a name for himself and start getting on the marquees a little bit and not be you know seen as Mr. Misha Tate anymore and a guy that could be a credible threat at 135.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. And I mean, like we said earlier, being a Mi- Mr. Misha Tate, that's uh, <laughs> that's not, that's a not that's nothing to be ashamed of. That's not a bad thing at all. So uh, yeah, but that's definitely one of the fights to watch. My, You know, my fight to watch, I'm going to go with Abel Trujillo versus Jordan Rinaldi. Look, anytime Abel Trujillo fights, win or lose, it's guaranteed excitement. And with Jordan Rinaldi, he's got a big opportunity in front of him. If he can go out there and get that big upset in his UFC debut. I mean, the sky could be the limit for this kid. So we'll have to see who gets the victory on fight night. Tune in on Sunday night on Fox Sports 1. And I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. MMA Genius, just let the audience know where they can follow you on social media and anything else you got coming up.
3: Yeah, just uh, follow me at MMA genius 5 and uh, enjoy the fights this weekend and uh, let's catch these dogs.
0: Rockstar Z. Yeah, ton of dogs uh, this weekend. It's
1: it's pretty crazy. There's gonna be a lot of a uh, lot of best made. But uh, yeah, just follow me on Twitter at RockstarZ. Uh, go subscribe to my YouTube channel Z's MMA. Where I do a uh, ten minute like if this is too long winded for you and you're you're getting tired of fight talk. I uh, just do uh, quick picks, ten minutes each card, break it down top to bottom. Uh, and uh, also check out my caper record. I'm on uh, on there under uh, the name RockstarZ as well.
0: Yeah, definitely follow those Quick Picks. They're awesome. But if this is too long-winded for you, uh, I think you need to go running to another sport. Now, CB Gold, where can they follow you on social media, man?
2: Uh, you can follow me at CB the Grenades uh, Twitter and Instagram, CB Gold on Facebook. You can also hear me twice a week on the MMA Roasted podcast. Um, this is more a little more technical on half the battle than, than what, we, what we really get into. But there is a change coming to the podcast with us not having a studio, so there's not going to be limits anymore. Um, and uh, if you're in Vegas this weekend, I will be there. From I'm leaving tomorrow night, Wednesday night. I'll be there till after the fights, so you can catch me out there. You can also catch me next week in uh, SoCal getting ready for UFC 199. I'll be hanging out there all week. And you might also hear me on the flights this weekend as the only American in the uh, in the arena that's yelling, ooh hair and <laughs> Julie Garbrandt because uh, I think he might die on Sunday.
0: <laughs> that, that's awesome. Yeah, well definitely follow the MMA genius, definitely follow Rock Starsley. definitely follow CB Gold and CB. I mean, you all know I've been a longtime fan, longtime supporter of the MMA Roasted Podcast, the funniest podcast in the motherfucking game. Adam Hunter has always been a super cool dude to me. He's a great person. And, dude, I'm going to L.A. for UFC 199, so we definitely got to meet up.
2: Oh, that definitely just hit me up, man. I'm I'm readily available. I'll be hanging out at the Fighter Hotel from Tuesday to uh, probably Saturday morning and then uh, home watching the fights. Thank God I got a refund because my boy BJ Penn dropped out and Wyman uh, dropped, so I got my tickets refunded. So, uh, I won't be at the event, but I will be hanging out. So, yeah, let's meet up, man. It'd be an honor.
0: Definitely, man. It would be a good time. So, for all the fans, thank you so much for checking out Half the Battle. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Get all my plays, all my podcasts on BestFightPicks.com. And until the next time, enjoy the fights. <laughs>